Hello, and welcome back to the Wheel Talk podcast. My name is Abby Mickey. We're here to talk about women's professional road cycling, plus, I don't know, anything else that comes up. I am absolutely over the moon to say that I'm joined by Lauren Rowney. I'm back. I'm back, everyone. Yay. <laughs> back with a guest. Oh, yeah. I was like the guest looking at Gracie going, Gracie's not a guest. She's like well established <laughs> on this podcast. Yes, Louis is joining us today. Um, so if you hear any, what is the sound? Like baby sounds is a word for it. Like not gurgling. Mew- gurgling. I was going to say mewing. Maybe. But that's like a cat, yeah. right? That sounds cuter, though, yeah. than gurgling. Well, Gracie is also here. The trio is back. <laughs> And not quite making baby sounds yet, but you never know. I'm like something might pop out of my own mouth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that pregnancy brain is real. Yeah, we're gonna talk about the UAE tour. Plus, we got set Mana uh, Ciclista Valenciana coming up, and the start list is stacked for that one. Okay, UAE tour. So last year, UAE Tour was like the sprinter showdown of the year with mm. Lorena Weebus and Charlotta Cool. And it was the first time that we really saw Lorena Weebus have a ton of competition in the sprint field, mostly because Charlotta Cool, her lead out rider on DSM, stepped it up last year and was able to beat her in two stages of the UAE Tour. So coming into the UAE Tour this year, I was really excited to see that showdown again, especially with Lorraine Weebus and her form last year and how dominant she was at sprints last year. I was excited for that. But uh, Charlotte Cool announced right before the race that she would not be racing due to illness. And because of that, we got the Lorraine Weebus just <laughs> totaling the field. <laughs> For the first two stages of the race, uh, the the lead out on the first stage specifically with Kopecky was just like, okay, well, this is how the season is going to go. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, Gracie, you were there on the ground last year commentating. Um, and one of the fun things from last year's tour was actually watching just the organization of those sprint trains because it's, you know, it's something we've spoken about that the past few years, it's not just a few teams now, but it was like, Really, almost every team was super getting super organized, um, which I loved seeing. Uh, chaotic at times, but um, the the hardest thing I found was definitely the jersey thing. I think it was Tills on Discord that said that at times I thought I was looking at SD Works and I'm like, they're not moving that fast, but I had the team wrong because of the colors. And just like the zoomed out angle. When I when I wrote my kit review article a couple of weeks ago, I was really hopeful that we wouldn't have this problem this year. But then when you actually see Human Powered Health and SC Works Pro Time in the same, like next to each other, it is really hard. Mm, and I think oh, yeah. even like the Jaco Lula um, mm. colors have that pink in it too, or the... They've changed. No, no, is there's a bit, bit of orange as well? I don't know. Anyway, it was confusing for me, but definitely that's that's the highlight for me for this tour is just watching the sprint trains get organised um, and then just seeing, you know, how the other teams, obviously you've got established sprinters like um, Clara Capone was there and she had a really good race, I thought, for a little trek. Um, Raquel Barbieri stepped it up. Um, and it looks like it was a good move for her to go to DSM. Um, and then, you know, for the, for the other teams there that weren't really going to feature in the, in the sprints compared to these top, top level sprinters, you had to ask the question, like, what were they doing there and what they, what were they going to get out of these stages when it's a bit of copy and paste from last year, you know, the first two were going to be a sprint finish. We can talk about the, the last stage later, um, that was more interesting for me because, yeah, these early season races now, um, like we discussed on podcast before I went on on leave for a few weeks, the, the riders' levels are higher now and I guess a lot of these riders will be targeting the spring classic. So you don't want to just show up to a race like this and just be one of the numbers. You want to sort of try and get something out of it, which is often the breakaway. Even if you know you're going to get caught with two kilometers to go, or in the last few hundred meters. Yeah, I I didn't get to watch the full stages because I couldn't figure out how to from Australia without spending a lot of money, oh. which I wasn't prepared oh, to do no. just yet in the season. So no flowback subscription for me just yet, but that's uh, maybe going to have to happen at some point. <laughs> um, but uh, the highlights that I could find available 
you know, showed the best part of the the couple of stages, the first couple of stages. Um, I so I assume that there weren't good enough crosswinds to do damage in that way. And then those roads um, from ex- I haven't raced on those roads especially, but uh, just from experiencing Qatar, like there, it's pretty much hot mix a lot of the time. And if there's not a lot of wind, you're just carrying a lot of speed in the bunch. So it is quite actually quite hard to get a good breakaway going unless mm-hmm. the bunch lets it go. And often, you know, on a stage one of any tour, that's less likely. Um, so it would have been nicer to see a bit more action in that way. But I think it's actually quite hard to make it happen. So And with think- stage one, like my memory is terrible at the moment, but SD Works did the chasing, didn't they? No, they didn't. It was that that's the point I wanted to get at. On stage one, the the riders that were up the road, um, it wasn't SD Works, it was WNT who started with the chasing. And then mm. I had to think like, well, yeah, wouldn't you make I mean, obviously in the last stage we saw what happened there, but um they they didn't chase. They weren't forced to chase early which I think was a bit of a mistake. They handed the stage to SD Works in a way, um, which was a, a definitely a weird choice, like knowing that Weebus is Weebus. And mm-hmm. even even though it's the first race of her season, you still look at what she did last year and you're like, okay, well, no team should work except for SD Works. But there, I think the first stage, they expected there to be crosswinds and they weren't, as mm-hmm. bad as they expected. Something about trees being planted along the road, right where they thought the good crosswinds were going to be. Um, <laughs> and then stage two, there actually were crosswinds. And there, there's photos of the peloton just splintered apart, but it didn't last and still came down to a bunch sprint. And I think stage two, there was a lot more control by SC Works, especially with the leader's jersey. But yeah, stage one was weird. I feel like it was one of those like first... Races first of the race, season. First, like, yeah, uh-huh. like early season confusion about excitement, early early season excitement, and also just like the chaos of what is the first races of the year where you don't really know. Yeah, and I guess, <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. And yeah, sometimes I think one of the commentators was making the decision who's making the call. Is it the directors in the car right now or is it the captains on the road or the riders themselves? deciding what they're they're sort of doing in those moments but like if you haven't been act that active or present I suppose in that stage as a team and then you want to do something sometimes maybe there's a bit of panic at the end that yeah we've got to send our riders to the front and actually do something now because if there is a chance this this stays away and SD Works do gamble that we're just gonna bring it back we don't want to make that risk Something I do like about SD Works, and I'll give them credit for, is they're good at playing poker. Mm. And we've talked about them doing that lots in the past of not working until they really have to. And another thing that I like in that same vein and that I noticed on in the final 5K of both st- all three stages except for the, the third stage Um was that they're super disciplined as a unit and they don't go anywhere near the front even with 5K to go and other teams are all burning their matches Mm. on these wide open roads and they're all together hiding. You didn't see them on the camera shot a lot of the time with until about 2.5K to go and then Mm. you see them snake through on one side, either up the side or just, you know, by a team or two. And I, I really love that. And I think that's worth highlighting that um, obviously they've got a, a, a shit ton of firepower in that team, but they're really disciplined about how they use it. And it, yeah, it speaks to the maturity of the riders as well. When you've got that camera angle at the back and they're chilling at the back, of course, this race, you know, it is those big wide open roads. So there's, there's never that panic um, within those last kilometers, like with, the races here in Belgium or or the Netherlands or actually anywhere where you've got those technical finishes or technical parts leading up to a finish. I mean, things can get really intense with 20 kilometres to go and then you have to burn a couple of matches just to get the the real lead-out train into position. 
but yeah, like mm. you said, Gracie, it is really cool to watch um, just how calm and collected and mature the team is. And like plenty of other teams, they were burning matches for kilometers. <laughs> You're like, where? How it like? How many people do you want left? <laughs> anyway, I just think it's interesting, and I think a lot of people can like. I say this every time when we talk about sprints. It's like worth going to watch it a few times, especially as a rider, because like you can learn a lot from who does it well and who does it almost well <laughs> and who does it poorly. And then also like who I I don't really want to make this comparison, but like um Kobeki really reminded me of Vanderpol's lead outs for Phillips and last year at the tour. Mm. Like mm-hmm. it's like just having that extra weapon. Yeah. They, they yeah. they're a formidable duo and Kopecky just seemed so in control and she got out of the saddle and she powered for a few uh, a good two or more hundred meters each time and Loretta all she had to do was just pop out at exactly 150 to go and obviously she's like super fast so yeah I think that was pretty cool to see that um, combination so clearly because We've seen it a few times before, but, like, yeah, I thought it was really good. I think what's amazing about Lorena as well is she can win sprints in different ways. Like, talking about different sprinters, you've got the ones that need to go, things need to be wound up from a long way out and it becomes almost that drag race. And you could even see, like, with Georgia Baker, uh, she's definitely a sprinter who was coming and gaining ground towards the end. Um, but with Lorena, she can she can do it in any number of ways, but it's a question now moving towards, um, yeah, well, we're at the start of the season. How do, and we've discussed this, how do other teams beat Lorena? Because I think Trek now have a really good sprinter combination um, that's going to be really curious with Elisa Balsamo and Clara Capone. I think she can be a fantastic last person for Lorena um and you know if we've got that same drag race going on between say Trek and SD Works I do wonder if a sprinter like Clara or Charlotte we've seen it happen will get over the top so yeah Chiara Consoni was was up there for the first two stages she was third and second and she just kind of continues to Mm -hmm. chip away and she's still super young I feel like when it comes to her she's only going to get better at these sprints and UAE they have the resources which we'll talk about in a minute to give her a better lead out train I, I mean I think she still has a good team around her to help continue to grow as a sprinter but I do have a lot of hope for her in the future because she she really, like last year she was getting better and better. And this year you can already tell like third and second in like consecutively is pretty decent. It's a, Yeah, it's a case of, you know, you've got the sprinters who are wanting to try and come off Lorena's wheel, like getting put into the right position by their team and then try and get over her that way. But I think for a lot of these riders, it's almost you've got to have your own setup, say, on the right side of the road if they're on the left, and then just trust that you can come off your last man's wheel and that you're fast enough and maybe that's that's going to be the way, like the drag race yeah. on different sides of the road rather than trying to come over it. Because yeah. whether it's a drag race or it's a short hop of a sprint, she just seems to still get that, you know, one on them. One over yeah. them, sorry. Like I think that you've touched on something good there, Lauren. It's like trusting your own guys and not mm. just trying to follow the wheel of Weavers because she almost never touches the wind. And no. it's it's her skill, but it's also the skill of Kopecky and sure. uh, maybe one or two other of those SD Works riders. They know where to be, so she is never in the wind as well. So, like, it's... It's a cool thing to watch, especially Kopecky. Like mm-hmm. she's looking around heaps, and she just moves that extra few centimeters, so that Lorena never has to move herself anywhere mm-hmm. um, that's in the wind. So anyone else that is fighting for that wheel, they're going to touch the wind even for a second here, there, and that just makes the difference. Like, of course, Lorena's arguably the best sprinter in the world, but she's she's still beatable. And like those sprints were. 
not super close, but close enough to go there's a few tweaks in that that it could be way closer. Mm-hmm. It's just she's getting that little jump on everyone. I mean, mm. when you've got Kapeki doing what she's doing um, and there's no other team matching that sort of firepower in that last man, woman, um, she's already got that meter or so on everyone else. So she's just coming straight off that wheel and then, like I said, to come around her, um, at this point in time is is really difficult. Unless, you know, it's it's a really long sprint, then I think that's that's when we could see the difference if she was forced out at, say, 200, 250 to go. Um, those could be the differences. But uh, we could go on f- about this forever. <laughs> I'm, it's interesting that Lidl Trek didn't bring Balsamo to this race. She's on the start list for Sedmona Valenciana, mm. which she, she did that last year as well. Um, and won the first stage, I believe, or maybe that was 2022. Anyway, they're all bleeding together, but it's a race that she's done before. And, uh, I'm surprised they didn't bring her to, to UAE because they knew it was going to be sprint stages. And we'll talk about stage three in a second and how they stacked up in the overall situation. Um, but yeah, I, I would, I'm excited to see how Balsamo stacks up against, them with Capone on her side and if that mm. makes any difference for her I like she's not as pure a sprinter in theory as Webus, who is not even really a pure sprinter what is a pure sprinter in women's cycling these days <laughs> but I do think that the two of them together are going to be more formidable than Aliza was last year with Little Trek and what they mm. were able to provide for her as a lead out and so I'm hopeful that, you know, she had a hell of a season last year, as did the entire team, honestly. Um, and hopefully with a little extra firepower. Because, yeah, like you said, Lauren, like being a good lead-out person, it's, there's so much more to it than just having the power. You can't – just mm-hmm. because you are a fast sprinter doesn't mean – doesn't make you a good lead-out person. And no. I think that that is a problem that, they've run into at little Trek with, um, with the team that they've had in the past. So I'm excited to see how that goes come. I don't know, Rhonda Van Drenta or something, get Webblegam or something along those lines, if that makes a difference and how that happens. And like, I think when, once we get into those sprinty classics, we're going to have quite the, quite the list of riders that could unseat Weebus. And I think that's going to be like, Capone and Balsamo, Kiara Consoni and Charlotte Cool. between the three of them, Weebus is going to have a lot of people to keep an eye on when it comes to the sprints. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But right now, she's unbeatable. <laughs> 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 we got to talk about stage three because, well, speaking of Weebus, freaking heck of an effort going into the bottom of the climb to set up Kapeki. She like she burned off decimated like the Peloton. <laughs> yeah. 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 She was burning um, off climbers. Very impressive. It was incredible. Like <laughs> she she did such a great job going into the bottom of the climb for Kapeki, repaying her for those lead outs and uh, and everything. And then Kapeki just man, that climb was You'd think that a climb like this, it wouldn't be as exciting. And and last year, it wasn't as exciting because it was very much just Trek Segafredo with Elisa Longoborghini and Guy Riolini kind of just riding everyone off their wheel. But this mm. year, the final t- seven kilometers was just slow motion action the whole time um, between... Elisa Longoborghini last year's winner being distanced already with like 6K to go. And then the the attack of Neve Bradbury, which was awesome to see. She rode so well in Australia. And so I think it's not all that surprising to see that form coming around again mm-hmm. here. And it's kind of a bummer that there's not a ton of races that will suit her going forward. We're going into the spring classics. So looking at the races to come, I feel like for her, Strata could maybe be a good opportunity, but that really depends. You know, she's one of those younger athletes who doesn't handle the bunch as well as some others. So I think for her, Strata is a good race to target, but maybe with, you know, a grain of salt and then Trofea Alfredo Binda will be awesome for yeah. her. But 
but she was amazing. I mean, her attack was amazing. Her timing was great. She just like felt, felt it. And she was like, okay, I'm going to go now. And her attack like blew Guy Riolini off the back and like one of the, the best climbers in the Peloton in theory. And she just rode away from that. And then Kopecky riding up to her was just like, I mean, you kind of have to laugh because <laughs> mm. <laughs> like, she was she was amazing on the first two stages and could probably win sprints on her own. And then her riding on Saturday, I mean, she was just I wrote in the in the article after the race that she was like an AI generated bike racer. <laughs> like she looked um, she looked amazing on the bike. Like yeah. she, she looks like what every single person goes into a bike fit and is like, I want to look like this on my bike. Yeah. Like she just looks <laughs> She looks so good on a bike. And there was one shot of Mavi Garcia who who did it a ton of work. Like Mavi led most of the climb mm. after Guy Riolini had pulled off the front and done a bit of work post Webus. And then it was mostly Mavi who did the most damage on the climb. But there was this image of like Mavi and Kopecky and Mavi is all over the place like just rocking back and forth just complete chaos on the bike and then there's Kopecky and she is just like a solid freaking unit <laughs> I have to say that Kopecky's amazing style I think a lot of it is from the, the track work she's done from a very long time because trackies learn to produce that really really high power in the saddle which quite often um you know a lot of roadies can struggle with and have to go in and out of the the saddle but her her positioning and just her her what's the word for the way that she her pedal stroke is just beautiful to watch but um yeah to accelerate like that in the saddle she basically did a time trial up that climb and I think you know in terms of getting rid of Capecchi and what we've seen from the the queen stage of the Tour de France from last year was she she can high, handle really high power, obviously for a long time. She's a time trialer. Um, where she's going to come unstuck, and you could see she couldn't follow Bradbury, but she managed to then just up it a little bit and time trial her way across. Um, so on a climb like that, I don't think it was definitely not steep enough to do enough damage to a rider like her. And you would need to, um, like the riders that were there should have been uh, piggybacking off each other more. So not setting a high tempo. I think that's where Mavi went wrong. She's a rider, I think, that can handle the the tempo going up and down, um, whereas Kopecky is definitely the type that needs it to just be high, set really high, and then you're not going to shake her. And that's exactly what we saw. And Neve was really the only rider that had the – the guts to do that, which, you know, spoke volumes about her maturity. And she just looks so calm and confident. I, I couldn't quite believe it, um, The like how much she's grown in the past couple of years. Um, so that was the biggest highlight, I think, of that stage was just to watch this young rider have a crack, not be afraid of the riders that were there who have beaten her before and just go for the win. Um, that takes a lot of confidence and, and guts. If Gaia and Elisa had maybe been feeling better on the day and they could have like gone one, two, one, two, one, two at Capecchi, mm -hmm. I think it maybe would have been a different result. But the they were the only it was the only team with more than one rider in that group, at least at the bottom stages of the climb. But clearly not feeling super great on the day, which I think for Elisa. I'm actually happy that she's not riding as well right now that as she was last year because yeah. last year she was so, so on fire so early in the year and then just sick the rest of the season. So I think for her, it's totally fine that she wasn't riding out of her mind already in February. Uh, I She's got... I got high hopes for her later in the season. Yeah. She can ease into it. Yeah. For Gaia, yeah. I feel like, I don't know if she was sick or something, but for her, this would have been like a huge opportunity. So I'm curious what's going on there and how and and why she wasn't able to hang on, uh, at least to Mavi. Like she finished 43 seconds down on Kopecky, but she finished 11 seconds down on Mavi. And I would 
assume on any given day that Gaia would be better than Mavi on a climb. So I'm I'm surprised to see that. And I'm curious what that means for... I mean, I don't think it's a huge deal. It, like I said, it's February. And there are much bigger things coming in the season for the, for both of those riders. So I think... Hopefully she doesn't, it doesn't knock her confidence, but I, it would be hard for a rider that young to have done so well last year and come into the race this year and be, you know, not where they were, but they also rode this climb. I can't remember exactly how much faster, but it was like mm. way faster than last year. Um, and the field this year at the race in general was a bit more competitive. And we talked about that already with TDU. So I think it's just mm -hmm. that the, the all, everything has gone up a level and mm -hmm. Kopecky has gone up three levels. Like she said in an interview <laughs> at earlier in the year before this race that she, she's stopped working with her coach. She's coaching herself. And oh, over wow. the winter, she lost 3.5 kilograms, but she's kept the same power that she had last year which is just insane. <laughs> like, yeah, wow. uh, when it comes to a climb oh. like this, that is, this is the perfect opportunity for her to show that new skill because it's, it's a climb that is, you know, not super steep, pretty gradual, a power climb. And she's got, you know, three, three and a half less kilograms to lug up it. So it was an incredible performance. I feel like from, from Kopecky and, and of course from Neve, like, uh, she's had such a hard go of it the last couple of years mm. and that she's even still in the sport. I mean, the the pandemic was brutal on her and I'm just so excited to see her still there, but also still with the, with the passion to be able to pull off a ride like this. I love it. I love to see it. I think that there's a couple of things there. Um, this, this is a big year. It's an Olympic year. So I think when we look at riders, particularly in February, uh, we've already discussed this again. Um, a rider like Elisa, who's so seasoned, and even with Gaia being part of um, such a professional team like Trek, they've got big plans, I'm sure, for her, and that is going to be around races like the Giro. So it certainly doesn't make sense um, that she's flying right now. Um, and I think she'll have the team around her and the maturity to know that, okay, she has ridden away from these type of riders um, on different days, but this is also a different type of climb. It's like one of those highway climbs that, like we were saying, is just the perfect gradient for a rider like Kopecky. Um, So it's just, yeah, gauging the season. And like you said, Abby, I'm sure Elisa is, is looking at bigger things this year and just wants to make sure that she's building at the right times to towards those goals and what makes sense. Um, right now, and I think with Neve, oh, there goes baby. He doesn't want me to talk anymore. Um, I Crazy. think. With, what do you got? What do you think? Yeah. No, I'm enjoying. Lauren and I have been what, going back and forth. <laughs> no, I think I, I've been enjoying what you've both been saying. I I don't disagree with any of that. I think, yeah, really happy to see Neve step up. Um, I think for Australia, we're just lacking a little bit in results, lacking a lot, actually, to be honest, in results. So I think super great to see her stepping up. I don't know, like, how that longevity is going to go for the rest of the season, being coming in so hot now. But, like, every athlete's different. Every athlete is, um, you know, figuring it out. Some are just more experienced than others. So, you know, someone like Elisa Longaborghini, for example, would be very knowledgeable now as to how she likes to peak and what races she's going to target and why. And those reasons are slightly different this year to maybe the last two years. So we might see her really peaking in a month or two, which is what we hope for. Um, but bloody hell, Kopecky, <laughs> I don't know where you put that team if they're already starting off so dominant. Uh, I'd love to know what they're doing for training and all the rest of it, but we'll never know. Uh, very interesting. I didn't know that she was coaching herself. That's a cool little tidbit. And, yeah, I think a, a bit like the Aussie races, you, you can read into this climb to a point, um, but I think the, the real honesty is coming in a few weeks' time when they hit the European roads 
um, you know, that's when everything comes out <laughs> uh, of, of what your off-season, pre-season work has really been uh, all about. But I think a lot of people are very fearful of SD works already. So, yeah, I think they're going to be really tough to beat. I do want to make an honourable mention to the St. Michelle team. Mm. They put... Um, is it Marion Bunel? She was fifth on the climb, but they were really active in the summer as well in Australia. They were not passengers. I think that's really maybe one of the first times I've noticed them really riding cohesively as a unit and actually being quite competitive. So, yeah, I think that's kind of a team that's not particularly been on our radar that much yet, but they could have some good, you know, talent scouts in that management of that team that have been developing some of these riders over the last few years. So uh, it's cool to see what you would call a small Italian team actually punching above their weight and um, some a team that we might be talking about a bit more this year. Good shout out. They've actually, um, Corrections Corner, French, French team. But they've picked up a couple interesting riders this year. They've been around forever, this team. And they they used to have the longest name in the Peloton. I mean, it's still pretty long, Saint Michel, Michel Mavic, Aubert yeah. 93. That's I think that's why I said name. Italian. I didn't <laughs> make a mistake, but it's it's the name that gets me. It's, it's such an name. Italian name. It's true. <laughs> um, but they have, like, some pretty seasoned riders on their team along with you know some young talent they have Roxanne Fournier like she's been around forever and was on um SC Works for two years so she's and FDJ for like a really long time so they they've got her on the team and they also have uh Vic uh yeah I'm gonna butcher her name but Victoire Gilman she was on FDJ for I mean, pretty much her entire career until now. Uh, since 2017, she's been on FDJ, and she's new to the team this year. So they've picked up a couple of riders with a lot more experience after having been a young team. So I think that's one of the reasons that they've maybe stepped it up a bit is they just have a bit more experience in the team to guide those young riders that would ha- would be coming into the team with a lot of talent and a lot of ambition. Um, but I agree, like Marianne Bunnell, her ride on, on Saturday was super impressive. And I feel like it's not, not at all surprising to see Paulina Royarkis up there for Phoenix Sukunik as well. She excels at the climbs, um, but it would have been her first race for Phoenix Sukunik after coming over from Canyon Stram. So, yeah, I, there's like one big bit of Peloton gossip that we're going to talk about. And I can't decide if now is a good time to do it or if we should wait. I think we'll do it now because it's relevant to Kopecky's performance on Saturday and her overall win. And that is if Kopecky is climbing this well, and I don't know if her climbing this well right now means that she's going to be a contender for the Giro or the tour coming up later in the summer. Sorry, Lila just walked in with like the most mischievous look in, on her face. Um, I don't know if that means she's going to be a GC contender later on at the big tours because she is targeting the track for the Olympics. So it's not the climbing as well as she did at UAE tour is not really the end, the end goal for the year for her. I think it's just kind of a, a, cherry on top of her form which she said is not even she's not even at top form her her goals on the road are the classics and things coming up later in the summer but if she is indeed climbing this well what does that mean for the dynamic that is Demi Vollering and Lada Kopecky both of whom are on a contract year both of whom have been rumored to be leaving SD Works pro time at the end of the season my baby is also making sounds. <laughs> not really a baby anymore. When can you not call them a baby anymore? Oh, uh, they're still babies. Harry's still a baby. He'll be a baby when he's probably 20. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, what does this mean for the two of them? Because we already saw them butt heads a little bit last year at uh, Strada Bianchi when they, yeah. when they came up together to the finish. And 
according to SE Works, that was smoothed over after that. But if Demi is sitting at home watching Kapeki ride like this on a climb, like, is she going to be threatened? What does that mean for the team? I don't think Demi will be threatened by Kapeki in the high mountains. I mean, I could eat my words later, but I think she she has the sense and maturity to know Kapeki is phenomenal. But I still think compared to Demi in those real big mountains with the hot, like this really steep gradients, the really long climbs, Demi is still going to be, for the meantime, the number one rider in the world, just based off what we saw last year. Where they could butt heads and will continue to is maybe just with the classics, which both of them are so well suited to. Um, and there's any number of them that they could both win. So it's just going to be a situation of who actually goes at the right time and is in the right move or has gone solo. Um, but in terms of contracts and whether, um, you know, both those riders are going to stay on SD works, um, I, I don't know. Would you, do you leave something that's a really good thing at the moment and where you're getting a lot of success and it seems to gel quite well uh, in terms of how they work? Um, I don't know. I mean, the the rumor going around is that UAE offered Demi a million euros to join them and that Kapeki is being courted by many teams. Movistar, I think, is the most uh, outspoken about their desire for Kapeki. And um, I think it is a real possibility that Kapeki will leave the team at the end of the year. I'm not sure where she'll go, but I do think that she, of the two of them, she's more likely to leave the team. But the whole situation with Demi is so interesting because the rumor about the $1 million contract came from a column, a Dutch column. So it wasn't even a news article, really. And according to some rumblings I've heard, UAE were shocked when they saw the headline <laughs> of that article because <laughs> um, they did not realize that they'd offered Demi one million. And then the 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 next kind of hilarious slash just really interesting chunk of of all of this going on was that uh, Danny Stam, the head D director for SD Works said, no, we wouldn't pay that much for Demi. We want Demi to stay, but we're not going to pay her that. Um, so I think, I feel like the whole thing is just like, it's like a soap opera playing out. And it's cool that we actually get this in women's cycling now, that there is money being thrown around for a rider of her caliber and like that it's playing out in like a very dramatic way in the media. Like it's, it's entertaining at least, but I do feel like, I would be super shocked if I saw if Demi did leave the team because she's, you know, the protege of Anna Vanderbreken, who's the director there. She started with the team, was built up with the team and is very much like the golden child of that team. And it's a team that I think will continue to build her. And I don't know if she went to another team, if she would have that. If she went to UAE, I don't think that she would continue to grow as a rider. I think she would just stagnate and maybe she would still be as good as she is now. But the rest of the peloton is going to catch up to her eventually. So wouldn't she want to keep getting better? And I think she can only do that with SC Works. And I think um, she strikes me as a Dutch rider that likes to be on a Dutch team. Um, and it is very Dutch. Like, you know, they're based in the Netherlands. Uh, all this, Most of the staff are Dutch. Um, and quite often you do see that with some, some of the Dutch riders. It just seems to work. Uh, and so, yeah, I agree with you on that respect. And I think there is a close relationship between her and Anna, at least um, the past years there were. And I feel like she would want to continue to work with Anna. I don't know. Is Anna still coaching her at one point? She was coaching her. So yeah, that year. relationship makes sense. Um, yeah. And, okay, if the, if the money thing is a rumour, I mean, you know, getting paid double probably what you are getting paid for, for one year. That would be quite an enticing deal to take, I think, particularly at this point in, in where women's cycling is. I mean, that was unheard of, a, a million euro contract. Uh, I think it still is unheard of at this moment. Um, but, yeah, for Kapeki, it would be, for me, where would she go? 
which team would be the best fit for her, her personality, the way that she races, and how actually the question. team races themselves. Because when you put a rider like that in in a new team, sometimes it can throw off the whole dynamic of how the team has functioned previously. That's just my opinion. Yeah, it's almost like the the recipe at SD Works at the moment makes everyone better mm. because they're all pushing each other, which, you know, can come undone really quickly as well. But at the moment it's really working. So I think, yeah, I kind of agree with Abby though in that I, I'd see Pikaveki more likely to be the one to leave than Demi, but, um, yeah, you never really know what's going on behind the scenes um, and what other goss they know that we don't know of who might they take with them or other riders from other teams that would also be of interest to them to work with and, um just their their general mentality, whether money is really important or not. And but I don't know Demi at all, but like she seems she strikes me as the kind of person that um is about personal growth more than making money. So it's a I think it's just one of those individual questions you have to ask yourself whether it's worth going somewhere for money. And maybe at the end of your career it is, but maybe not in the middle of it. I mean, I think if they if they do both leave SD Works, we're looking at a way different Peloton for 2025 and a lot of different teams winning because without them at SD Works, SD Works still has an incredibly strong team, but it would definitely throw a wrench in their dynamic, mm. not having Demi specifically. I think Kapeki is going to Kapeki wherever she goes. <laughs> Mm. Yeah. And I think she relies less on SD Works to win. Like obviously it's a team and it's a it's a team effort, but like Weebus and Volering and even Marlon Rosa, like they're ingrained in SD Works. And Kopecky is because she also races full time on the track, mm -hmm. she's kind of her own unit. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. that's true. That's a good yeah. point. It's something like I, Lauren, yeah. that Lauren raised is like, let's just see how much they class, clash in the classics yeah. because that there's be actually only, yeah, there's only so many opportunities where you're in the high mountains. There's not that many actual race days like that in the year. There's way more race days where you need to be versatile. And, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to a few uh, <laughs> tough decisions that they're going to have to make. Well, it's going to be a crazy, intense classic season. We know that. The The mm -hmm. next two months it will be game on, um, which I just love. Well, I think yeah. we'll have our answer to whether or not they will be leaving the team at the end of the classic season. I think that's going to be a deciding factor how the team how the team handles having these two super, super strong riders who are kind of melding into a similar type of rider. Um, how they handle that is going to answer a lot of our questions. <laughs> and I don't know which team would be best, the best fit for Kapeki, honestly. I mean, she's such a strong rider that you're right. Like any team she goes into is going to be completely changed by her for better or for worse. And I feel like looking at the teams, like, I mean, there are teams that maybe need a rider like her that could possibly be Movistar, Little Trek, maybe like they, they've, they really struggled last year. And I think they've already proven this year that they, they maybe needed some more riders that weren't 18 to fill their roster. I mean, already at Cadell's, they didn't field a full team. And, uh, I, I mean, they only had three in theory, like Loretta pulled out. And then a lot of that was due to illness, but still it's like for a team that's one of the best in the world, they potentially need that firepower. But Movistar is a team that they've had a world champion on the team, a very dominant world champion on the team already in Annemiek Van Vluten, and they know how to handle a rider like that, I think. Like they would just let her do her own thing, and I think that's what Kapeki will want. I don't think <laughs> she's going to stay. <laughs> like, I just don't think... Anyway. Oh, hey, maybe Ineos is going to start up a team. <laughs> How many years have we been saying that? <laughs> I think since 2012. Yeah, many, many years. Oh. I mean, if they were, 
Okay, I'll wait because <laughs> I was crying. <laughs> Stage four, which was meant to be another sprint stage, another, you know, sweep of the, the four podiums by SD Works, but uh, the fairy tale ending did not happen for the team. They looked so disappointed um, after the finish. But um, like Gracie, I didn't get to watch the whole stage. I just watched the final 10 kilometres, which actually I think was the most thrilling part of it all when you started to realise that, yes, this breakaway could survive um, and that, in fact, they weren't gaining enough time um, at the finish. But I guess the talking points is what would what was happening between the, the breakaway um, companions. Did you watch the last 10K, Gracie, as well? Just the highlights. I only Just got to see the highlights, so I didn't see that dynamic. Well, I know Abby has some feels about it, so I'm going to wait for her. The dynamics in the breakaway were super interesting because you had, you know, two world tour riders and one a continental rider. And the the strongest rider in the breakaway was Amber Crack. I mean, she she was the one really propelling the break to stay away. <laughs> She's I think FDJ as well was one of those teams that um, you know, they didn't have like a standout sprinter that was going to take one of those sprinter stages. Um, they put themselves out there on the mountain stage um, with Gladys for Holst and then again very active on the fourth stage with Amber Crack. And like you were saying in our chat, Abby, I completely forgot that she'd moved teams um, and what a start to the season for her. But she was definitely the strongest on the day there. Yeah, I mean, she she was super strong and she was like she was really pushing the breakaway to keep going. And they never had like a massive gap. I think the biggest they had was just over three minutes with like 50K to go, which, you know, if you see a gap like that, normally you'd think, OK, in 50K, that's going to get completely decimated when SC Works gets gets to the front. But when we saw it closing down and we saw, you know, Amber eventually going solo and and leaving the other two behind, she it, the math was like, <laughs> it was like so tight between the two of them. And at one, at first with, I think it was maybe five or six K to go. SU works had like three or four riders up there pulling, pulling the Peloton. And then once it got to like three K to go and Amber was solo, there was only one SC works rider left. And then all of a sudden there were none and there were no SC works riders at the front at all. And they'd completely handed over control of the Peloton to DSM Furmanage personnel and human powered health were up there and live Alula Jaco was up there for a bit. And there was just no work from SC works anywhere. They, they weren't there in, in the front of the Peloton at all until you finally saw them closing in on Amber in the final like 200 meters. And then that was when Weebus let her sprint loose. And I think if there'd been another 50 meters of road, she would have caught Amber because she was sprinting so fast. But Amber just, you know, she took control of the situation. She was incredible. Incre she's incredibly strong. We know that about her. We know she's a strong time trialist. It's what she does. And she's so fresh and new to the Peloton. I think for me, the most impressive thing is that she knew to race with her gut. Like she knew to just leave it all out there because she's only been racing for like three years at this point. Um, she was picked up by Yumbo Visma in 2021, I believe, but she, she came from rowing. She didn't build herself up in cycling. She's one of those riders that they found because they saw her power numbers and they were like, are you interested in cycling? And so she would have learned a lot at that team. And I think her going over to FDJ Suez is, is a really exciting development for FDJ Suez. Like they need a rider like that and they have grace obviously, but you, you kind of need more than one rider who can do an attack like that. And I think, I think for her on this stage, everything just fell into place. Like SC works was, tired well they were they were really focused on the overall and i think that they would have really liked to win this stage but the end goal was the overall and 
the dynamics going on in the Peloton and Amber just being on a really good day meant that she got her first world tour win. And I think that the whole final like 10 K was just incredibly fascinating watching what the Peloton was doing, watching what the breakaway was doing and how close it came. I mean, like it wasn't until the final two kilometers when it was like, okay, Amber has this. No, it was a lot of, uh, yeah, like you said, she she's really quite fresh and new to the peloton, not coming from a cycling background necessarily. Maybe she did a bit of cross-training on the bike, but not coming from a racing background. And like you were saying, Abby, when you're in that situation, particularly like a race like this where, you know, you, you want those companions as close to the finish as possible if if the brake is working and you're not losing speed, but to feel that moment that, you know, I'm better off to go and do the solo and to to cut the dead weight essentially that I'm just dragging with me. Um, takes a bit of, yeah, uh, confidence and maturity. I don't know if she had her DS in that moment talking into ear saying, if you feel good, go now. The gap is still big enough um, and you can do this. It's going to be close at the end, but this is your best opportunity now. And you could see that you know, I was I was talking to my friend who's here watching the stage with, with me and I'm like, the time isn't coming down as fast as I thought it would be at this moment. So I was hesitating. I'm like, nah, there's no way she's going to make it. She's solo and with the firepower of the peloton, surely, surely. But, um, yeah, it, like you said, it all played into her hands there at the, the very end. Um, but I honestly thought in the last moment she was going to get caught because she just had nothing, nothing left in the tank. But it was... A fun way to see uh, a race like that finish like that because I know, well, Gracie, you've raced Qatar many times. The the last stage is always where someone tries to do that that sort of breakaway attempt and you just always know it's going to end up in that sprint. So to get proven wrong is always is always fun. Yeah, it's it's cool to see someone have their day for racing smart, having, you know, good legs, but um capitalizing on anything funny going on in the peloton and much like stage one is tough to win in a breakaway stage the, the last stage of a tour has a better chance to win in a breakaway because of different dynamics happening with gc um i'm sure sd works would have loved to get another stage win it's not like they're like we've got two <laughs> we're happy with that but like yeah it's it, it's nice to see the breakaway have their day as well um and someone that we talk about have talked about the last couple of years is knocking on the door um being close and you know a rider that we've been watching for a little while so getting a world tour win is is a big deal so that would have been good and definitely good for the fdj team as well they probably were a bit disappointed in their summer of cycling here in australia so a nice bit of um, team morale there for them going towards Europe. And also a good result for third with Dara Pikulik. She was a kind of a blip on the radar last year, winning stage one of the women's tour down under. And then, you know, it's not like we didn't see her after that, but we she was more like in the top 10s, top 20s in the year and kind of faded off a bit. So I think for that team especially with uh, a bigger and better squad, for lack of better words, this year. I think that would have been also good for that team's morale as well to come away with uh, a bit of a result. It was one of my favorite parts of the stage was the post-race. Like, I don't know if they knew that the camera was on them, but FDJ yeah. was all kind of huddled <laughs> behind the tent at the post-race and... Um, and her teammates were kind of giving Amber a hard time because she didn't raise her arms up when she crossed the line. And she was like, I didn't want to risk it. <laughs> I yeah. not know where and anyone was. You know what? That, just... That's a smart move because we've seen that plenty of times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously. I mean, Weebus was coming so fast too that it would have been. But yeah, she was she was hilarious. Um she was there with like her her DS and everyone just like having to tell the story over and over and over that she didn't raise her arms because she was she they were screaming into the radio to just go go go. Um yeah, it was hilarious. It was really funny. <laughs> I feel like the the whole race was awesome and gives us a little bit of a 
snapshot into what we're going to see coming up in the classics, like a really strong SD works, but also a Peloton that is motivated to get the better of them. And I think that that worked on the fourth stage and the whole Peloton is going to take a lot of confidence out of that about of SD works being beat. Like, I think we're headed into a season where it's very much going to be SC works versus the Peloton. And I think that's great. I mean, I think it's going to make for good racing. So we have the classics coming up first. We have set Valenciana coming up this week from the 15th to the 18th. And then after that, it's opening weekend with Omloop Het Newsblad and, uh, Omloop Van Het Hageland. So it'll be, we're, we're the getting there. We're getting close. <laughs> I think we'll we'll wrap up this episode now. There will be a lot to talk about next week after Semana Valenciana. It's a race that has traditionally been a target for a lot of the world tour riders who didn't go to UAE tour last year and riders that are looking for a little bit more top end before the classics start. So already like the only team with the full roster out are out now is Little Trek, but they have a super strong team with Balsamo, Loretta Hansen, Guy Riolini, Amanda Spratt, and Sharon Van Anroy. So half of the team is classics riders. Half of the team is riders with um, goals later on in the season and also some of the Italian one days. Um, but there's 13, I think, world tour teams total on the start list for Valenciana. So it's going to be basically a world tour race in all but all but name. And I expect we'll see a lot of really strong climbers there as well. Like I wouldn't be surprised if like Ashimo and Passio is there. And, um, yeah, it's traditionally been a good opportunity for the team to organize themselves before the classics and kind of get their ducks in a row before they go into races that are a bit more, uh, chaotic and also a good opportunity for different types of riders because there's sprint stages and there's climbing stages. So a bit of every, a bit for everyone. And I remember Spratty actually was riding super well last year at this race. Um, so we've got that on tap, but let's wrap up the episode with what we're obsessed with. And it will be cut. It will be no shock to anybody listening to this podcast. Oh, <laughs> uh, I, I wonder what Abby's I'm, obsessed with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. my entire instagram is just taylor swift and travis kelsey the entire thing and you know what i love it because they are so cute <laughs> together and this morning when we got on this call i was in the middle of showing tom's a tiktok that taylor just posted um of she went clubbing after the super bowl with travis and her parents <laughs> she's in the club with her parents and it's amazing and uh travis is really bringing out a side of taylor that i think most of us experienced in our early 20s but taylor having been taylor Swift, <laughs> she never got to experience it so i am just thrilled that he is he is allowing her to live out her early 20s now in when she's 34 it brings me much joy and the amount <laughs> that they love each other is just like adorable like there's there's this pictures of them from the super bowl where like he's on stage and he blows her a kiss and she blows him a kiss back and they just like i wish everyone could have a person that looks at them the way that they look at each other <laughs> abby it's it's like it's it's too it's too good to be true, almost. Don't say that. No, as in like, true. I'm not jinxing. <laughs> like, I hope this is her forever. But it's like, um, it's almost like that first love in a way, the way they're looking at each other. Um, and now my Instagram is flooded by it too because I decided to just look up some stuff and now the, no, look the at whole algorithm, you page. the whole algorithm oh is like yours. <laughs> Yeah. It is entirely Taylor Swift. Yeah. And Travis Kelsey and all of her her like completely ridiculous box from the uh from the Super Bowl that included like norm normal friends, you know, like Blake Lively and Ashley Avignon and uh I love that friendship, by the way. Like if if there's a celebrity I want to be friends with, I don't know why, maybe because I used to like Lively. Yes. Yes, but also because she based and her fashion is like amazing. Ryan mm -hmm. Reynolds, like imagine if you could just call up your best friend and be like, Yeah, hey, <laughs> can I borrow your husband's Deadpool suit? Which is a thing that Taylor Swift did one Hall Halloween. Um yeah. but the two of them are hilarious. And then 
like randomly because she's super good friends with him paul mccartney like yeah because why not like (laughs) i mean the whole thing was just like i love it it brings me so much joy and i feel that i've tried to refrain my obsession with taylor swift for months and months (laughs) during this section of the podcast but i can't anymore because look at them (laughs) i just her life is like a fairy tale when i look now you've actually sucked me in to to looking up stuff about her i don't know why now now i actually i'm not like a swifty but i definitely look at her stuff and now even like the the algorithm on my news thing it will bring up so much taylor swift news yeah it's just taking over the world you're welcome it's very it's fun it's a fun world (laughs) She's flying into Australia this week for the tours here. I'm a bit sad that I'm not seeing her. I'm not a super fan like you, Abby, but I do like her a lot and she would be pretty amazing to go see in concert. So that's going to be Swift Mania here for a week Mm. or two. Um, Yeah. We'll forgive you for that one. I think the whole world was obsessed yesterday. Yeah, yeah. You you really can't escape it. I'm not currently using Instagram at the moment, but I looked up the news because I wanted to see the pictures. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Does she never, like, not look good? She just always looks amazing. That was mm. my – it's like Margot Robbie. She's just natural. I know. She's she's just, like, stunning. Yeah. And it's, anyway. uh, it's amazing. Yeah, Celebrity crushes. Inside yeah. and out. She's stunning inside and out. Like she's mm. she's amazing a person, amazing person, amazing singer. And I'm sure that you guys could be best friends. I think we would. I think if we ever <laughs> met I think if we ever met in person, I would be totally cool. I would remain calm and she would be like, damn, <laughs> she's cool. And we would be best friends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm obsessed with the this little guy making noises. I'm also um, obsessed with him. Look at him. Yeah. He looks oh, like a little old man. He's, he's getting still, less squishy face, though. Yeah. He's, he's rounding out. Yeah. But he definitely oh. still has, like, he's the most, oh, he has the most expressive face, this baby. Like, really. Mostly it's a look of disgust. I don't know why. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, he's. he's been super chilled and i'm just enjoying yeah the whole newborn vibes it's been really fun and also just seeing how harry has uh reacted to having a little brother that's what i'm obsessed with he calls him baby um and that's been really sweet to just to just soak up and sort of be in the moment at the moment um because looking after two kids under three is hectic yeah good job very he's just passed out again I know that he just opened one eye, like looked at me. <laughs> He's living the life. Yeah. Uh, just boob on tap. Yeah. All the naps you can, all the naps you could ever want. Yep. Getting carried everywhere. Yeah. Never have to use any of your body parts <laughs> except your bowels. <laughs> and he does that, I think, every feed. So. Yeah. Everything's working good. <laughs> uh, yeah. Gracie, what about you? Um, I, I'm not obsessed with anything at the moment, but I watched a good TV series over the weekend called Dead Ringers. Um, it has mm. Rachel Weiss, which I really like her. She's often very good. Uh, it's based off an old film that was based off a book, um, and it was pretty dark and actually very dark and a bit weird, but I like that kind of stuff. So anyone listening who's into that kind of thing, I think it was very well done. A good commentary on the uh, wealthy class in America, but it was also based around um, these two twin sisters played by the same actress, which they did. um, she did an amazing job and whoever did the CGI did an amazing job. uh, who were um, fertility like um, specialists and um, obstetricians, both of them, and so it got a bit uh, crazy in some points. So probably not the best thing to watch when you're pregnant, but I thought it was still 
yeah, very entertaining. So I would recommend that, but maybe not if you're pregnant. <laughs> Had a few nightmares, but it was worth it. <laughs> <laughs> this has been awesome. I'm so glad we got Lauren back for an episode. Hopefully next week also. And we'll be back next week to talk about Set Mana Valenciana and prep for the classics. Thank you.